Welcome, everybody. This is How to English. Teacher Learn with Gavin M. It's a podcast about teaching and learning English as a foreign language. All opinions stated are personal and questioned. <laughs> <laughs> All opinions stated are personal and references will be given when necessary. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And welcome everybody to today's episode, this week's episode, this fortnight's episode of How to English Teach and Learn with Gav and M, episode 19. And the topic this weekend, what have you decided for us? Talking, Gav. Talking, talking. simply talking. Talking about talking. We're going to talk, speak, discuss, chat, natter on about Talking. Chinwag. Chinwag. So, are you good at talking, do you think? Not especially. That's funny, because you're a podcast host, so are you sure about that? I'm good at asking questions. I'm good at showing attentive listening skills, focus, nodding, smiling, and saying, oh, that's really interesting, tell me more. But, to be honest, I'm not ever so good at speaking, Em. You're saying elicitation is more your strong set. You're good at getting other people to talk. I would say so. How about you? How are your talking abilities, Em? I don't feel very confident talking about much. I mean, I feel like podcasting is a bit easier for me because I've spent a long time teaching, so I feel like I know what I'm talking about. You definitely know what you're talking about, but are you good at presenting your thoughts and ideas? I'm getting better. I think it's uh, a learning process for me. I, those early days of podding with you, Gav, I don't know if I made a lot of sense back then, but I feel like, yeah, my ideas are getting more streamlined and I'm getting better at expressing myself, perhaps. And in the classroom, I feel the same way. I'm in my comfort zone, so to speak. I'm talking about things I know a lot about on the whole, but... I do feel out of my depth if students start talking about very complicated processes in their company, for example, or even if they're talking about football teams, I have no idea what's going on. I've, then I'm struggling because I've got nothing really up my sleeve to contribute or keep the conversation going. So it depends what the topic is, to be honest. I wouldn't say I'm good at talking generally. I just think I'm good at talking about what I know. And you know grammar, you know vocabulary, you know how to present language to students. That's, yeah, that's it. I've done that. I've tried it. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. But I do feel a bit nervous when the conversation starts going into places that I'm not familiar with. But I mean, that's the joy, isn't it, of teaching is to get into topics perhaps you don't know much about as a teacher because then you get to learn something. But then I feel like I'm not teaching. I'm I'm the student, really. I'm learning. Is that the purpose of teaching? Is to go places you've never been before? I think maybe that's the purpose of learning. I'm not sure if it's the purpose of teaching. I mean, I love going to those places. I'm definitely got my ticket. I'm all packed, ready. But there is the tricky thing about upgrading students' language on a topic you know nothing about. How do you deal with that situation? It must happen that students start asking you questions or just talking about their day at work and you feel, oh, hang on, I have no idea what this is. 
I find that students already know so much about their own jobs and how to talk about their jobs, so it's not so much of an issue. It's more the connecting language, it's the structuring, it's talking around the topic of their jobs that they are not so familiar with. And that's where I can step in and I can support them. But no, I don't know words that they don't already know about their job because it is just too complicated for me and often they don't expect me to. Yeah, so it's not just the vocabulary, it's also just being able to discuss it. I think if you've got someone who's in finance, for example, and they want to talk to you about balance sheets, I've never seen a balance sheet, I don't know what one is. So I can only have a very limited input to that conversation. And as we said in a previous episode, getting deep into a conversation is so fundamental to the learning process if you're just skimming that topic, I feel like I've failed a bit. Mm, I could understand that, but I typically open an example of something or I ask the students, have you got an example of something that you work on? Now, introduce me to it, break it down, explain it to me, explain it to the rest of the class. Yeah. We'll ask you some questions. That's usually how I deal with that issue. And I think when I was a new teacher, I was scared to ask questions. I didn't want to look like I didn't know anything. I was very much, oh, okay, just pretend you're following this. But if there is something tricky, and a lot of the time, as we're speaking about people who are in business mainly, they've been in that job for their whole life sometimes. They know it so well, they almost forget how to talk to a novice. So I feel like you've got to bring them back to that kind of basic level and say to them, I really don't know what you're talking about. I can't follow this. Can you just break that down even more? And in that process of simplification, their English really has to be spot on, doesn't it? They have to be able to really express what they're saying clearly. I think so. That's a very good skill to have to succinctly explain in just a few words when you've got the attention of the other person how can you explain this process, this thing that you do at work? Anything. It could be what position your sports team is in the league or whatever. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just continuing what you're saying. Carry on. That's all right. I think I finished there anyway. <laughs> but it doesn't just apply to difficult jobs and you know, very specialised industries. It can be just, it can just be bird watching. You know, the terminology with bird watching is so complicated when you're in that you know it all but if you're talking to a person who's never done bird watching you wouldn't know the name of the place you sit or the things you use to look at the birds you know the I'm not going to go into it because I don't know if I know either but those are the things I'm talking about just don't be scared as a teacher to say stop a sec let's just really get into this because I don't know what it is you're talking about and this is where I say to the student I actually don't know some of those words. How about you open the translation app while you're talking to me mm -hmm. and tell me what it is in English and I'll see if I know it and I can help you use it in a sentence, for example, because sometimes yeah. I can't remember all the words they're using. I might be over one day talking about processes of machines in one lesson. I'm switching to ornithology in the next lesson. Mm. And the third lesson, I might be talking about parachuting. It could be just anything. And my brain doesn't work that fast where I can remember all of the key words. So I don't mind saying to the student, oh, I think I know that word, but maybe you could check it for me and we'll work on it together. Yeah, exactly. And it's a good way of involving everyone as well. I think we're, if we're talking about one-to-one, -one, it's 
different. If you're in a group, you've got to involve everyone else. So you need to say to some other students, do you know what that word means? Because I've never heard that before. Or is that the word you would say in your own language? Does it translate well? It's just getting a conversation going so that everyone's interested in the topic, I think. Mm -hmm. And as I think you mentioned once before, while that student is talking about the topic, ask the other students to prepare some questions mm -hmm. so that you know they're engaged and they're listening and then they might have some input during that conversation. Can they listen and prepare questions at the same time though? I often think about questions when somebody's talking and think, oh, I'd love to know more about this or mm. I didn't really understand that bit and I don't want to interrupt them. Maybe I'll ask them at the end. So I say to my students, prepare some questions and then we'll get really deep into this conversation. Depends on the level, I guess. If they're a high level student, they can manage thinking, writing questions or remembering questions while they're listening. But I think if they're a lower level group, then maybe just get them to listen and then write some questions at the end, say five minutes ask some questions because it's a lot to take in for them as well. I think the students need a bit of time to process what's being spoken about. Absolutely. And what if your students are reticent? Are you talking about during a conversation that everyone's having or just at the beginning of the lesson where you're trying to get them to start talking? I think both because we're talking about talking, but what if our student isn't talking? I've always maintained the beginning of the lesson is crucial for getting the vibe right you've got to get everyone relaxed you've got to get everybody feeling like it's a safe space where everyone can contribute so I think if you get that atmosphere going right away make everyone feel at ease generally in my experience they're happy to talk so it's about the little things like what were you doing just before this lesson and not just, oh, okay, after they've replied, but get into a bit more of that. So if they say, I made a call before the lesson, you could just say, oh, okay. But I think as a teacher, you've got to draw them out, ask questions like, for example, Gav. Who did you call? What were you asking? Did you give information? Will you need to call them again later? Yep. All of those just start Getting that student comfortable with English. They may not have spoken English for a week or they may not have spoken at all for a week. Who knows? You just need to get them into the groove of speaking about things they know, about things that they're happy to talk about. You know, what did you do last night? Have you had lunch today? Just everyday stuff. And then when they get into the more complicated topics, they're prepared for it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. They're warmed up. If you just go in cold with, you know, today we're going to talk about space exploration and they may feel like, oh, I've got no idea how to talk about that topic. I've never used those words and they're not going to feel very happy talking. So there may be that going on, that they're feeling a bit like they haven't been warmed up to the language. They might be in a bad mood. So I think you might have to tentatively ask how they're feeling and if they're not feeling great for whatever reason maybe change your lesson to a more passive one a listening exercise or something else I don't feel like everyone has to talk every time but you've got to get the right mood and to do that you need to ask questions mm -hmm. and talking can just be the production of what did we just listen to what did you understand from this? Give us your comprehensive answers to these questions here. Yeah, maybe they don't want to get into feelings and in 
impressions and ideas. Or even talking about their day. No, that's another thing. If it's been a hard day for them, maybe they don't want to get into that either. So, yeah, talking is also a lot about just giving information and retelling stories that you've heard from other people. So that's a good skill, I think, to bear in mind. Okay, so we've dealt with our quiet students. How about correcting? Can we correct and talk at the same time? Or do we need to stop the lesson, pull out our flip charts and then start passing sentences until everybody's on board with the new grammar and language? It depends, Gav. I think it depends on the students. If they're all having this fabulous conversation that's flowing, I wouldn't interrupt. I would probably make notes or even write in the chat if I'm online or on the board if I'm in the classroom, just make some notes. And some of the students might be looking, thinking, oh, yeah, didn't say that right. But then at the end of the conversation, you can go back to the mistakes. Generally, students want to know if they've said things right or wrong. So if you hear a student say, I work here since November. Mm. You just ignore it and you carry on with the lesson. This sounds like the first lesson. So as I said, it depends. I think there I would have to stop them and say, hang on a sec, is that the best tense for that sentence? Does everyone agree? But it is that thing I said before about getting the atmosphere right so that you feel like they're not going to clam up if you correct them. So make sure you've done a bonding exercise, make sure you've done some mingling, make sure you've done some just very easy confidence building activities. That's it, absolutely. Build their confidence and then knock them down. (laughs) But what if this is after the 10th lesson, M, and they're still using the wrong tense, saying, I work here since November? I think by the 10th lesson, hopefully you know them a bit better. Hopefully they know you. So I think at that point, I might start throwing up my hands, looking a bit like, what is going on? Am I wasting my time here? In a sort of funny way, Hmm. just to make the point, because these are errors that are hard to fix, generally. And they're very common errors. How would you fix that one, Em? Come on, very quickly, don't interrupt the lesson for too long. I work here. Gav, I'm not sure I work here makes sense to me. I work here. I do work here. I work very hardly. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, you're adding more now. Um... Okay, so it started in the past. It's still going on now. I wouldn't use a present simple fact. Okay, I work here. But when you want to talk about duration, you have to use a different tense, Gav. Since November. Yes, see, you know it. But you can't just say, I work here since November. You have to use something else between I and worked. Can you tell me, please, Teacher M? I have worked. So, Gav, if that is happening on a regular basis that students are using... Present simple, when they should be using present perfect, how would you correct them? I would write on the board, as you said, or write in the chat the correct sentence while the conversation is ongoing. Okay. So you wouldn't actually get them to correct themselves or go into the grammar. You would literally just point to this is what you should say. If it was the first lesson, then definitely I'm not going to interrupt but I'm going to come back to it. Or if it's in the 10th lesson, I am going to stop the student, as you said, throw my hands up in the air and say, oh, come on, everyone. Where is your present perfect continuous for ongoing actions that started in the past and continue to the present? So I would write, I have been working here since November. Yeah, make a little song about it or something. Just keep going with it. Keep repeating it over and over and over. That's exactly what I do. And then I say, great. What's the question? Somebody would give me the question. What is the question, Em? 
How long have you been working here? Exactly. So then I would go round in the circle in the class and say, okay, student A, you ask student B the question, student B answers, and then student B asks the same question to student C. You know where I'm going then. Yeah. And this would continue. And if I was happy... Infinitum. <laughs> if I was happy with their pronunciation, I wouldn't say anything. But I might want to interrupt and say, how long have you been? How long have you been? Repeat after me, how long have you been? How long have you been? Exactly. And that's what I would do. Very quick, less than five minutes, and then we just carry on with what we were talking about. Sounds good. Gav, I've got a question for you. Em, what's the question? It's quite a long question. So imagine you're in a lesson. You've started by asking everybody how their day's going. Am I the teacher or the... (laughs) You're the teacher. Maybe you've started by asking everybody how their day's going, maybe what they did last night... Uh, if they've got a cup of coffee or tea at the moment, you know, got everyone in the right mood for something. And then you choose a topic. What kind of topic would you like the lesson to be about? My students often want to talk about gardening. Right. So you start talking about gardening. Maybe you're getting into the methods of cutting grass. Into the weeds. Getting into the weeds. Exactly. Nice idiom. And then... Somebody, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, just starts saying, oh, and I picked some of my apples and I made an apple pie. And suddenly you're talking about cooking Mm. and everybody's gone down that road of cooking and we're talking about kitchen stuff and oven times and temperatures. Would you go along with that conversation or would you try and bring it back to the topic of gardening? Um, It depends. On what? How many students are in the class, how involved each one is, and whether I want to get a bit deeper into digging into the topic of gardening rather than going to my utensils in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. There's so many different approaches to this. It's a really good question. I would possibly stop the conversation and say... Yeah, let's go back to gardening because I want to know what student C thinks about this and whether they spend time doing this. Mm, Yeah, because maybe student C hasn't even got a chance to talk before the apple pie conversation started. So they're ready with their thoughts about gardening. They've already prepared their little speech to me. They want to tell me all about their brand new electric lawnmower that's automated. One of those little like Roomba things, yeah. Roomba out... Yeah, a Roomba on the lawn. A lawnba, whatever it is. Yeah, so they've already got that in their heads, but now suddenly we're talking about apple pie. I know. I can't comment on that. I was ready with my my grass story. Exactly, and you probably haven't covered all the vocabulary that you were thinking, all right, I need to talk about forks and spades and weeders and all of these different tools. What's a weeder? A weeder. It's a little pokey thing for getting weeds up. Right, good. See, I didn't know that. I might not have even mentioned a shed or watering can. Yeah, yeah. So these are things I consider a lot because it's fun and everyone's enjoying themselves, but I feel like we're only skimming topics. And it may only be one or two students who are really engaged in moving around all these different topics and we're leaving some of the students behind. Yeah. So you need to consider everybody, make sure they're all on board, make sure they've all talked about the current topic before Mm. it then wanders into the next one. So... Keep an eye on those dominant students. But on the other side of that coin, maybe you have students in that class that don't want to talk about gardening for an hour. Would you insist on it? 
No, if they're not interested, then I'll just find out what they want to talk about. So if the person who's talking about apple pie keeps going back to apple pie, you would get the idea that perhaps they weren't interested in gardening. Yes. And going back to skimming the surface of these topics, for me, isn't that rewarding? And I think also for the student, it's not so rewarding. It's really important to go a bit deeper into the topic. What do you think? Yeah, I think it is more memorable if you start rather than just listing vocabulary or even just saying, okay, what's that tool for if you're talking about gardening? It's not that memorable. But if you're talking to your students and they're saying, oh, well, I've recently bought a new... Hedge trimmer? Whatever. They've got some interest in that, I think, because it's more interesting for them. So there's a more meaningful conversation going on and then maybe other students can compare which brand they prefer and why and you can have a more uh, everyday kind of conversation that you would have in the real world rather than you know how often do you have to say a hedge trimmer is for cutting hedges you know most people know that so as much as that's good to build the vocabulary up once you've demonstrated they know that vocabulary or they know what that word is or they know what that tool's for then get them to describe how they use it or what they do in their garden or what was the last tool they used and does it need replacing or whatever. Just maybe go into more detail. I think that is a very, very good tip and it is more meaningful, it's more interesting and hopefully the student is making some notes and writing down those new words. Yeah, next week when you come back to it, they might remember that Student C bought a new pair of shears rather than... What do shears do? Mm, all those scissor things for the garden. Mm. Yeah, having the right words actually makes a big difference. I think as teachers, we need to be very good at keeping track, Gav, because I often find myself saying to my students, where did we start and how did we get here? Because they have got the ability to take me places and you know, carry on with conversations that I did not intend to have. We might start by talking about headphones and then end up talking about hedgehogs. <laughs> and I've no idea how we did that, but I tend to go along with the conversation. But we have to be masters of keeping track and going back and saying, right, everyone, we had fun there, but let's go back. Let's start again with the topic we want to discuss that, you know, we were getting into. It was getting interesting. It does depend on your expected outcomes, Em. I mean, if students are just keen to have a spontaneous conversation, then maybe flitting between topics is absolutely fine. But I also think it's worth returning to those topics because I want to know that every student is on board and interested and is going to contribute to that topic and also that it's finished before we move on. Mm, you've exhausted it. I agree. But you say, yeah, spontaneous conversation is fun and useful and a good skill because sometimes you're in, you know, you're networking or you're doing small talk and you need to be able to move around topics. I think there is definitely a place for that. I guess I'm just talking about if you've got a specific topic you need to teach or that you want to teach. You need to keep the students on track for that. Mm -hmm. What if they only want to talk to you, the teacher? It happens, doesn't it? I have to work harder. <laughs> it's going back to that thing I said before, Gav, at the beginning of the lesson or even at the beginning of the course. Make sure the students have bonded. Make sure they understand they're there to talk to each other, not to you. And just keep reminding them of that and encouraging them. And don't ask all the questions. 
it sometimes has to be a little bit artificial where you say, student A, ask student B a question now because mm. you're not talking. And after maybe a few lessons, they learn, oh, it's expected of me. I need to ask questions. So they're not prompted. They can do it naturally. And yeah, I guess we're sort of encouraging natural conversation to happen at the beginning of the course and even each lesson to remind them, remember, this is how we do it in this class. So you kind of force that format on them and then it just becomes part of a natural lesson with them. In my experience, yeah, I think they generally have to be aware of the fact they're expected to contribute. They're expected to talk to each other and it works I mean, there's always one or two students that are not interested in talking to each other. I don't know why, but I often just bring other students in. If they're talking directly to me, I'll say, "Okay, student B, what do you think about what student C is talking about? And then step back. Mm -hmm. So then I'm not the focus. Yeah, I think this is really good. Encourage interaction. And even as you just mentioned, step back and say to students, right, I want you just to talk together for five minutes. I want you to practice. I'm going to listen carefully. So don't worry, I'm checking your grammar and vocabulary. We'll talk about this at the end of your conversation. But I want to just give you some time to talk together now. Go ahead. And then just shut up and don't step in and just give them time. And don't worry about the silences because they're probably going to take a bit longer to start talking and often at that point where they're just starting I interrupt and say make questions everyone and I think oh I just should have waited a bit longer and students say your turn come on come on yeah and if you just <laughs> wait a bit longer just just a couple more seconds they probably will start talking they know what you want them to do so just let them formulate their ideas and they already know how to do it because they're people when people talk to each other and talking is totally normal we all do it all the time so let's just do it in the classroom students talking together. Gav, do you think talking is enough? No. What else do you need? Listening? Yep. Reading? Maybe. Writing? Yep. And there should be some grammar and vocabulary in there. Mm. So if your students say, I just want to talk, how do you integrate those other skills? It's like when little children say they just want nuggets. How do you hide broccoli in a way where they don't realise they're getting the broccoli? Well, fortunately, when talking, I think broccoli is hidden in the language. Oh, you're saying broccoli is just in there anyway. Mm, it's infused. It's already present. But you might need to prepare it. You or... mean mush it up and... Yeah, kind of chop it or something. Put it into a nugget form so it looks a bit like a nugget. Yeah. So you've got your format, you've got your topic, you've got the underlying structures that you expect from the student. So asking the student to describe a picture, you have the underlying structures. What grammar are we looking for there, Em? Present tenses. Present simple and continuous, a lot of prepositions, so on the left, in the middle. So you're saying they're eating the broccoli or using the grammar without even realising it. I hope so. And then the teacher is there to keep the student in the vegetable aisle and make sure they don't wander off to some <laughs> other grammar or vocabulary that just isn't appropriate for this particular task. Like the muffins. Yeah. I like that, Gav. So actually, as a teacher, you could choose a topic that naturally would encourage that language, that grammar broccoli, to come out. Mm -hmm. So if you were, for example, describing a process that would generate what kind of grammar broccoli? Present simple, 
passive linking words. So I wake up early, my breakfast is made. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try a different process, maybe. How are... How are bottles filled in a soda factory? The glass is imported, the bottles are filled, the labels are are stuck on, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly that kind of thing. And if you were describing a word, maybe I want you to explain what you were talking about and what that word means. Or if you were describing jobs that people do, what would be the grammar broccoli there, Gav? I think the grammar broccoli would be a teacher is a person who a pair of shears is a piece of equipment which you use to cut the hedges. So these are relative clauses, Em. Yes, very good. So what if you were going to describe a memory? Then what would the grammar broccoli be, Gav? I would use the past tenses, past simple, maybe past continuous. Possibly past perfect, just to describe things in the past. Maybe if you were a very high-level student, you might want to use cleft sentences. Cleft sentences? It was my father who taught me how to swim. Oh, these inversions are pretty tricky, Em. But it's all there, isn't it? The broccoli is integrated into the nuggets. Mm -hmm. Can't even see them, but it's there. Yeah. I've seen a lot of videos where parents hide vegetables. So their kids don't even know they're eating them. (laughs) You can do that too, teachers, with grammar. (laughs) It has to be a lesson, Gav, I think. Don't you? You have to teach something. It's really important. I think it should have a start, a middle and an end. And there should be something to walk away from that lesson with. Yes. A list of words, a new grammatical structure, more confidence. Yes. Just something. Definitely. All of those things. It's not just a conversation, M. It's more than that. Otherwise, it could be just a waste of the teacher's and the student's time. Is that what you're thinking, M, when you think of what an English lesson is? Definitely. I think the students need to understand you're there as a teacher to teach them and to upgrade what they already have and just teach them. I think that's <laughs> it. If they want to chat, they can go to their local coffee morning or whatever. I definitely feel like I need to give them something they didn't have before they came to the lesson. I feel the same. You know what, Gav? I think it's time for... Learn a Word. And this week, Em, I have prepared our Learn a Word. Cool. I was scouting on thesaurus.com and I decided to look for the synonyms for the word talking. Right. Some of those words included... Articulating, chattering, conversing, discussing, echoing, enunciating, expressing, orating, pronouncing, ranting, repeating, spouting, verbalising. But there was one particular word that took my fancy. What was that? It was the word mouthing. Mouthing? (laughs) That's not exactly talking, is it? It's not exactly, but it's a nice word, isn't it? Yes. What does it mean, Em? (laughs) I think if you're mouthing something, you're not making any sounds. It's like when you're miming or when you're doing a bit of lip syncing. You're not making any sounds, but your mouth looks like it's making the words. That is a perfect definition of mouthing, to move your mouth as if you're speaking, but you're not making any noise. Mm. You know there's another use of that word. 
Not exactly. It just means to put something in your mouth. Okay. <laughs> to mouth something. So some kids mouth broccoli but don't eat it. <laughs> I mouthed some broccoli this morning. It's not so common, you're right. But thank you to Oxford Languages for those definitions. Such a random word to choose out of all those words. I liked orating. Couldn't we have done that one? Em, I haven't finished on okay. mouthing. Oh, no, there's more. There's also an adjective that's really similar. An adjective from mouthing. To be mouthy. Mouthy. Yeah. Mouthy. Mouthy? To be mouthy. Mouthy. To be loud and opinionated. Telling everyone what you think. Well, yeah, to talk with impudence. Impudence. To talk with impudence. Impudence. <laughs> to talk with impudence. <laughs> to talk with impudence. What's impudence? Uh, lack of respect. Aha. Uh-huh. But it is quite informal. It sounds informal. I probably wouldn't use it unless I really disliked that person and said, oh, that's a really mouthy person talking with disrespect. So you might say, I've got a really mouthy neighbour every time they're in the garden and I'm trying to do my gardening. I hear them talking all the time and they're loud and a bit obnoxious. Yeah, and saying nasty things probably if they're a bit mouthy. You think mouthy is quite a negative thing then? Sounds it to me. I agree. Em... That was this week's Learn a Word. Great, Gav. I enjoyed that. (laughs) So I just have to say, Em, it was a pleasure doing the pod with you. Don't forget, followers, check us out on YouTube, Instagram, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And we've got a website, www.howtoenglishpod.com, where you can go and check out the transcriptions for the shows. And don't forget coffee.com, K-O-F-I, if you want to buy us a nice, refreshing drink to say thanks for all our engaging, talking, mouthingness of everything we do. Exactly. Links in the show notes. Catch you later, Em. Bye, Gav. Bye.